0: Good morning, Church. Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12, and is taken from the ESV Bible. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much. Um, We are going to look at the passage that was just read. Um, But before we do that, we are going to ask uh for God's help. We need God to be at work uh so that we hear from him. We need to meet with God through his word. That's that's our goal every time we gather is that God would meet with us through his word. And so um let's pray and ask for God to be particularly with us as we look at what he has to say. Heavenly Father we thank you uh once again for the privilege of your word. We thank you even for the privilege of having your word in uh, in the English language that we can read it and understand it Uh, we thank you Lord uh, that you the almighty God would condescend and bow down low to speak to us uh, on such important issues and Lord I pray that you would speak uh, that you would be the one who is speaking through your word Lord I pray that we would see Jesus as we see the word as we read the word, that we would see Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, um, yeah, Lord, that you might do such a work um, by your spirit, that we would not only understand your word, but we would rejoice in it. Um, We would see that your goodness in it. Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourself among us here today, not because we deserve to hear from you or we deserve to meet you, but because you are a God who is full of mercy and full of grace and who delights to meet with us. And so meet with us now this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, gender, uh, sex, uh, sexuality, marriage, uh, celibacy, uh, singleness, um. These are some of the most uh, controversial issues in our society right now, right? The issues, things revolving around those things are very, very, very controversial because they're very, very close to our hearts. These are issues that are uh, important to us. These are issues that have a lot of uh, consequence for us. And these are issues that there is much talk of in society. There are all kinds of people that want to teach us how we are to think about these issues, how we are to work through these issues. And yet, the the only person whose words are actually of vital importance are the words of Jesus Christ. Right? It's God's words on this matter, just as it's God's word on any matter that, that actually matters. And so what we're going to do is, in our time together, we're just going to very carefully walk through what Jesus has to say on these important issues. And really, you could say that what Jesus says here can be grouped into two categories, what Jesus says about marriage and what Jesus says about singleness. Uh, And we're going to walk through what Jesus has to say uh, on this issue. So firstly, then, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about marriage. And when Jesus is talking about marriage, he essentially does two things. One, he defines marriage for us. And then secondly, he tells us something about the permanence of marriage. Right. So firstly, Jesus defines marriage. And he defines marriage because the Pharisees come up to him and they are trying to, to trap him, to trick him. So look at me from verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished his sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? If you've been with us through the book of Matthew, by this point you're used to this kind of a thing. Jesus is going about doing good, healing people. You know, speaking and preaching about the kingdom and healing people. And as Jesus is going about this, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they come up to Jesus and the Bible says they're seeking to test him. In other words, from the very beginning, what we see about these Pharisees is these are not people who are genuinely trying to find out what Jesus has to say about this issue. They're not actually curious or wanting to learn from Jesus, right? They are putting a trap before Jesus. They are... Put in some exam before Jesus, hoping that Jesus will fail. Probably these are people who had heard what Jesus had said about marriage and divorce and those kind of issues back in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, and they're hoping to use Jesus' words against him. And so this whole thing is set up by a question about divorce. And really what they're asking is whether Jesus agrees with. A certain kind of divorce, any cause divorce. Do you believe a man can divorce his wife for any cause? Uh, this is a debate, a live debate that existed among the religious leaders of the time. And the common view at the time, among the religious leaders even, was that a man could divorce his wife for any cause. Right? Any cause. Uh, I said this when we looked back on this same issue back in Matthew 5, that we live in a society where increasingly divorce is becoming easier and easier. Uh, Increasingly, it it feels as if we're we're living in a world where sometimes it feels easier to get out of your marriage vows than it would be to get out of a phone contract. right? Um, And yet, the attitude towards divorce in Jesus' time, even among the religious leaders, was far more liberal than anything we see in today's society. Right? These were people who thought you could divorce your wife for any reason. So you read of people divorcing their wives because food was burnt or because they met another wife that they preferred. They believed in any cause divorce. And so they want to find out if Jesus agrees with this majority view at the time. And yet before Jesus goes into the question of divorce and therefore the question of the permanence of marriage, Jesus, what he does firstly is that he defines marriage. He defines marriage. Look with me from verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus goes back to the very first pages of the Bible to tell us, to teach us what marriage is. And, and here it is. Marriage is this union between a man and a woman, as husband and wife, where two people become one. And because of where we are in society, um the, the the things we we need to almost pause and say about that, right? Um, because uh, roughly around ten years ago, uh, the law in this country was changed, right, to allow for marriage between two people of the same sex. Um, most recently, those of us who maybe follow the news a lot would know that. Uh, the Church of England uh, most recently voted to allow for the blessing of same-sex marriages in the church. And that's really just a part of larger movements that are happening in all kinds of denominations where people who would call themselves Christians are arguing that the church should endorse same-sex marriage. All right, And so it's one thing for society, but... That's one thing, but here we are talking about people within the church who are saying, who are arguing for this. And there are all kinds of reasons why people who would claim to be Christians argue for this. But perhaps the most important of these arguments is, has everything to do with Jesus. And, and the argument is this, what said is that, look, Of course, the Bible says some stuff, and maybe in the Old Testament it says some stuff that would seem to prohibit that. But actually, the Bible's all about Jesus, and Jesus was all about inclusion. And very critically, really importantly, what it said is that Jesus is silent on this issue. Jesus doesn't have anything to say about this issue of same-sex marriage. Um, And so... Look, for whatever else we might see in the Bible, ultimately it's all about Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say anything about this. Jesus doesn't have an opinion on this. And so if we are to follow Jesus, it's okay for us to agree with and go along with same-sex marriage. In fact, if the church is to continue to speak against it and to argue against it, the church is just being bigoted. Again, this is not just an argument from those out there. This is an argument increasingly we see In the life of the church. That actually Jesus didn't say anything about this. And I think that there's two things we we, we ought to say to that. The first is this. The whole Bible is the word of Christ. The, The whole Bible is the word of the Son of God. What the Bible says, God says. And God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The whole Bible is the word of Jesus Christ. One reason why I've never been a massive fan of red letter Bibles, you know, Bibles that put the words of Jesus in red is, if you're going to do that, make the whole thing red. The whole Bible is the word of Jesus Christ. There's only one God who speaks to us in and through his word. And that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So so the whole Bible is Jesus speaking. But the second thing to say is that, even on his time on earth, Jesus does speak to this. And what Jesus says, I think, is probably the, the clearest statement on this. The, the clearest statement, I think, in all of scripture is actually from the lips of Jesus while he was on earth. And it's right here. they ask asking a question about marriage. And Jesus, verse 4, he grounds marriage in the fact that God has made us male and female. Remember, think about it. The question is about divorce. The question is about how permanent is marriage. And Jesus doesn't first quote the passage about marriage. He goes to Genesis, but he doesn't go firstly to the to the passage that's about, you know, a man leaving the father and mother to become one flesh. That's not the first passage he quotes. No, he goes to Genesis. The first thing he says is, God made us male and female. Because that's the ground of marriage. The the ground of marriage is rooted in the distinction between male and female. It's because God has made us male and female that marriage is possible. Marriage, therefore, by definition is something that is a union between a man and a woman. Because it's rooted in the difference between men and women. Jesus says that. Jesus defines marriage in this way, and so any claim to follow Jesus, any claim to follow the path of Christ, which denies this, is false, and dangerously so. Look, this goes beyond the issues of even marriage and sex and gender, important as they are. This becomes a, the fundamental issue: is this whether we will obey God? Whether we will obey Jesus Christ. Jesus says this is a matter of creation. This is a matter of God. The God who made this world has made this world in such a way, He has designed marriage in this way. And if we are to follow God, if we would to claim that in some sense that Jesus is Lord, we must follow him here. Right. And of course, because this world is fallen, everything is broken, and we are broken, and our sexualities are are broken. Every part of us is broken, and that sometimes means that we can have desires that push against this. And yet, we do not have the option of moving away from what Jesus Christ says here. Marriage is the union between a man and a woman because God created us, male and female. And any attempts by so-called ministers and so-called bishops or so-called archbishops that would teach against what Jesus Christ says, that would seek to bless what God and Jesus Christ forbids, is blasphemous. Right? Um, And it's not just in the Church of England. And I need to make it clear. It's by no means everyone in the Church of England. Right? And, And... This is happening across all denominations, right? Those who teach these things are false teachers. Those who argue for these things are wolves. There are things we can agree to disagree about in the Christian faith. This is not one of those things. Those who teach these things are leading people to eternal destruction. Right? They're suggesting people to live a life that's in clear rebellion to the words of Jesus Christ. A life that the end thereof is eternal destruction. That's what the Bible says. They are trampling on the struggle of those of us who do fight, those among us who fight daily with our desire, same-sex desire, but are fighting to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. They trample on that. They say there's no need to do that. They say you can embrace that wholeheartedly and expect to receive God's blessing in that they are trampling on Jesus Christ. They are trampling on Jesus' word. And one day they will have to stand before Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, and they will be held accountable, not just for walking away from Jesus Christ, but for leading other people to do so. People like this, they, they fall into the category we spoke of two weeks ago. Those who would cause others to stumble. That Jesus says it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be drowned than to be in that category. And so look, in spite of all the pressure, and the pressure is is only going to increase on this issue. There is no way to hold on to Jesus Christ and reject what Jesus says about this. Jesus defines marriage. It's a union between a man and a woman. And it's a union that God makes. And because it is God that makes this union, marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. And look, there are things here, again, lots here to say throughout this. Jesus has to say to us that are difficult, and yet it is good because it's coming from Jesus. Marriage is permanent. So from verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Marriage is permanent. Look, what Jesus says here, and we looked at this a while ago, what Jesus says here is absolutely radical. Jesus is speaking to a culture, even a religious culture, that believed in any cause divorce. And Jesus' response is that God's design for marriage is that marriage is permanent. And it's permanent because what happens in marriage is that God joins a man and a woman and makes them one. They are no longer two because God makes them one. Again, sometimes we don't think the way Jesus teaches us to think. Marriage is not first and foremost a social arrangement, a family thing. Marriage is not first and foremost a legal thing. Marriage is an act where God takes a man and a woman and makes them one. That's what happens in marriage. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that governments don't marry people. Pastors don't marry people. The two people that want to get married, they don't marry each other. God marries people. God joins them. God joins them together. When a man and woman, when they make vows, they they go before God, they're actually doing that, trusting that God, in their doing that, God is going to join them. God is the one who marries people. God is the one who puts them together. And what God does cannot simply be undone by us. Uh, What God has joined together, let no man separate all. KJV, let no man put asunder, right? God's design is that when he joins a man and a woman together in marriage, they are together as long as they both shall live. And at this point, the Pharisees are like, okay, we've got you. We've got you. So they, they probably knew that Jesus taught this. Jesus had already taught this back in Matthew 5. This radical view of the permanence of marriage... And they're like, we've got you. Because what they do is they bring up Moses. And they say, look, Deuteronomy 24, they say Moses commanded husbands to provide a certificate of divorce and then send her away. In other words, they say to Jesus, you're not being biblical. You don't follow the Bible. We've got you. You're contradicting what the Bible says. right? Moses commands us to divorce with a note of divorce. But you're saying divorce is not possible. And Jesus' response essentially is to read Deuteronomy 24 in context. Firstly, he corrects them. They say, Moses commanded us to divorce. Jesus says, it was never a command. Moses permitted this. Moses never commanded this. And he permitted this, Jesus says, because of the hardness of heart. Because of human sin. Because of the reality of human sin and human rebellion. In other words, what Jesus says is that Deuteronomy 24 does not represent God's plan for marriage does not represent God's ideal for marriage. God's plan is permanence. In fact, what Jesus does is he doubles down on this issue of permanence. He, he says that, in fact, marriage is so permanent that ordinarily divorce... is not just that you shouldn't divorce. Ordinarily, there is a sense in which divorce is impossible. Impossible. It's really important to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, look, because God joins two people together in marriage, because it's God that does it, people cannot simply dissolve what God has joined together. That's why Jesus, verse 9, he says that those who get divorced, except in exceptional circumstances, and then get remarried, actually commit adultery. The reason why Jesus says that is because he's saying that Marriage, ordinarily, is so permanent that it cannot be dissolved. That divorce is not actually possible. And such, any further marriage and sex that would take place within the context of that marriage would be adulterous because in God's eyes that person is still married to what you might call their former spouse. So, though in their mind they've divorced, because God is the one who's joined together, they're not actually, and therefore, any further Sexual activity is adulterous. Ordinarily, divorce is not possible. Again, it goes back to what Jesus says. We think that two people actually marry one another. They make the decision and they actually do it. They get married. They do it together. They get married. And so therefore, after a while, if things don't work out, they can decide, okay, that didn't work out. Let's separate. Jesus says, God is. two people don't get married, God marries two people. And therefore, whatever the decision of those people is, what actually matters is what God thinks. Only God can separate it. Marriage is permanent. And yet, it's important to, to say a few things. Firstly, Jesus makes clear that there is an exception clause of sexual immorality, sexual unfaithfulness. Jesus is saying that there is something about sexual unfaithfulness that enables a marriage to be dissolved, even in the eyes of God. And that's an example of the kind of hardness of heart that meant Deuteronomy 24 existed. In other words, that hardness of heart, human sin, human rebellion still exists today. Later on in 1 Corinthians 7, we see another example of human sin and human rebellion that allows for divorce to happen before God. In other words, again, because we live in such a world, there are still times where divorce is permissible. There are extreme cases of human rebe- rebellion that divorce is acceptable before God. And in such cases, remarriage is acceptable before God. Right. I know, and i said this before, I don't think those two are exhaustive. I think there are, there are situations of extreme human sin and rebellion which means that actually before God we can speak of Divorce, and therefore we can speak of remarriage. But we're not just talking about unreconcilable differences, and we're not just talking about not making each other as happy as we want to be. There are situations, there are situations of abuse, for example, that so violate the union that would cause us to think that God sees this as dissolvable. But that's the key issue. The key issue is this because God marries two people the only way that marriage can be dissolved is if God sees it that way. Right? And whatever we might say, and we do need to say, about legitimate reasons for divorce, even in those cases, we have to bear in mind, that's not God's plan for marriage. That's not God's ideal. And sometimes, human rebellion is such that that is the best case, but it's not God's plan for marriage. Right? Ordinarily, marriage is permanent. Okay, where does that leave us? Let's, let's say a few things, um, just on this issue. Firstly, let me say something to those of you who right now are considering marriage. Um, the import of what Jesus is saying here is that you ought to think very carefully about what you are seeking to do. You ought to think very carefully about that. Because when, when two people get married, they are asking God to do something that you cannot easily reverse. Marriage is weighty. That's why in the traditional vows, couples are warned not to go into it inadvisably. You do not have to be married. But if you choose to marry, bear in mind that marriage is permanent. right? And it's a decision to commit to another person, come what may. Right? And until that day of marriage, you, you have the choice to not go through with that. But if you choose to marry, it's really important. God's vision for marriage is permanent, and in society we might read of marriage being treated as such a light thing, and people getting married for no reason and then moving on. That's that's not God's. That's not what God has called marriage to be. Uh, let me say something to those of us who are uh, married and maybe experiencing severe difficulty in that. Um, marriage can be a brutal place. Um, please do not suffer in silence. Um, Please speak to your elders. I'm, look, I'm going to say this for, for everything. Please speak to your elders. God has not designed us to, to bear the weight of that alone. And there are times in which, again, there is such human rebellion that actually divorce is the right thing. Um, but again, please please speak to your elders. Don't, don't bear the weight of that alone. Let me say something to those of us who maybe you have divorced in the past. And if you are to be honest, that divorce, as far as you're aware, does not meet the threshold of what the Bible permits it doesn 't meet this threshold and now you 're single L- let me say to you that what Jesus is saying here is that God desires that if possible, you might seek reconciliation with your former spouse, and if not, that you would remain single right because For whatever might happen legally, what actually matters is how God sees the union, right? That's what faithfulness looks like for you. Again, I know there might be a thousand questions. Please speak to us. Let me say, again, something to those of us who, again, maybe have been divorced in the past. And, again, you, you realize maybe we didn't get divorced on biblical grounds. And since then, you have remarried. And you're wondering what to do. And maybe even now, as I'm speaking, you are feeling condemned and you're wondering how God views you. Let me tell you, what you might call unbiblical divorce, unbiblical remarriage, without taking back anything we've said, they are not unforgivable sins. The blood of Jesus Christ washes sin away. If you've repented from your sin, if you've turned from your sin, if you repented... You don't need to live in condemnation. You don't need to think that God sees you as merely living in sin. If you have repented from your sin, you can live in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You can know you're not living in sin, you're actually living in God's grace. If that's you, I want you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus bought at the cost of his own blood. And look, there's, there's lots of other situations that we could speak to. Um, and please do, do, do speak to me. And yet with all those qualifiers, the main point is this. Marriage is a union of a man and woman where God makes two people one, and it is permanent. That's the thrust of what Jesus says about marriage. And the stress on the permanence of marriage is so striking that it actually puts the disciples off marriage. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So, look, look, if that's what it is, if marriage is that serious, if this this kind of lifelong thing, if it's permanent, if I can't just get out of it anyhow, then you know what? It's better just not to be married. That's the disciples' response to what Jesus says here. And Jesus actually somewhat agrees with him, with, with the disciples. He, Jesus says, it's true, for some it is better not to marry. And that's not true for everyone. It's true for Jesus, Jesus is to those whom it is given. In other words, Jesus says, singleness is good and best for some. For some, marriage will be best. For some, singleness will be best. In other words, marriage is not for everyone. Marriage is not God's will for everyone. And I'm stressing that because often we speak and we talk, even in the church, we talk as if marriage is God's will for everyone. It's not. Jesus says it's not, right? And we raise children that way. You know, some of us, you know, growing up, your parents told you, you need to learn how to cook so you can cook for your husband, or you can cook for your wife, or you need to be responsible because how will you care for your wife, or how will you care for your husband? And we've been taught almost as if the the goal of adulthood is marriage. It's not. It's not. Jesus says it's not. We can raise children with the expectation that marriage is what God's plan is for them. Hear the words of Jesus Christ. It's not. For some it is. For for others it's not. And even for those it is. That's not the goal of adulthood. That's not the goal of life. And if that's true for us here today in our society, it was even more true in Jewish society. The idea of someone remaining unmarried in first century Judaism, was absolutely inconceivable, which is odd. But Jesus says, marriage is not God's will for all. That's not God's design for everyone. So it isn't just a matter of time for you, necessarily. And it's not necessarily true, oh, your time is coming. No matter what people tell you, that's not God's will for all of us. Some of us, some of you, you just need the freedom to tell your mom who's been on your case... When are you going to get married? Jesus said. Jesus said. It's not for everyone. Jesus said that. Your, your mom's been on your case. And with all respect, or with all due respect, you, you need to tell them. That's what Jesus says. For some, it is better not to be married. And, and that sets up what Jesus has to say on the issues of celibacy and singleness. Look with me at verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Jesus speaks about those who are not married, and he uses the word eunuch. And look, that's a very weird word. Like, like what? It's not the kind of word you use on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. Maybe not even yearly basis. Why does Jesus use this word? Um, I think there's two reasons. One, is is a, a, a quite flexible word. Jesus is going to use this word to talk about three categories of people who are single. right? Um, that's one reason. But the second reason, the most important reason why I think Jesus uses this word eunuch is it was a word that described people who for whatever reason were not sexually active. A eunuch is a person who is not sexually active. And so before we even get into the categories of singleness that Jesus gives us here, I hope we get what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the the only context for sexual activity is marriage. Do you see that? There are those who are married. Jesus said that's not for everyone because there are others, those who are single. And the word he uses in each of those examples assumes that those who are single will not be those who are sexually active. God's design for sex is that it belongs in the context of marriage. The only way we please God in the context of singleness is through what you might call celibacy. So Jesus gives us three examples of what celibate singleness looks like. Firstly, he speaks of those who are eunuchs from birth. Again, this all might seem really weird, but again, this this is written in a time that's different from us. When Jesus speaks of those who are eunuchs from birth, he's speaking of those who, for some reason, from birth, do not have sexual desire. These might be people who are born without sexual organs this might be people who have sexual organs but do not have sexual desire and what Jesus is saying is that people in that category ordinarily would be single they would not be married that's the first category and people at the time were aware of this category right that's true for the second category those who are made eunuchs by men so they're eunuchs from birth then he talks about those who are eunuchs, who are made eunuchs by men. This, by far, is the most common use of the word eunuch. And again, this is odd, but basically, what this word would refer to, what Jesus is talking about, is that there were men who served in royal courts, who were like officials, they were like personal assistants of the king or the queen. And because these eunuchs often worked with royal, there were royal women in the court that they helped to work with and serve, what would happen in the ancient world is that those men would be castrated. They would be neutered. The idea is that if they were neutered, it would keep them from showing any sexual interest in the women who were part of the court, the the princesses or the queens. And, of course, that is a barbaric practice. Right? Jesus is not commending this in any way. Jesus is speaking just to the reality that was almost universal, almost worldwide, is that royal courts had people like this. So the Ethiopian eunuch read of Acts 8 would have been someone like this. He was made so by others because he worked in the royal court. That's the second category. So those who are eunuchs from birth and those who are eunuchs, who have been made eunuchs by others. And those are actually the only two ways people of the time would have thought of, the only categories for people who lived in lifelong celibacy or singleness. But then Jesus adds a third category, and I think this third category is the point of all of this. Jesus says, there are also people who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven now let's be clear jesus is not talking about people who castrate themselves in any kind of way jesus is speaking of people who because of their commitment to the kingdom of god because of their desire to serve god's agenda they embrace celibacy and singleness and jesus is pointing this out because jesus wants to commend those who fall into this category That those of us who fall into this category, that we embrace singleness and celibacy because we are seeking to serve Jesus Christ, Jesus is commending. In a religious world that was obsessed with marriage far more than today, Jesus is saying here that marriage is not ultimate. God's kingdom is ultimate. And so he commends those who, for the sake of the kingdom, remain in celibate singleness. And look, there's a couple of us that I think fall into this category, That Jesus here is commending. For some of us, um, we are single and we don't particularly desire marriage. Um, Perhaps we are aware of how the commitments of marriage would impact our ability to serve God. Perhaps for other reasons, we just have never had a particularly strong desire for marriage. And because you know what the Bible says about sex and marriage... Because you know that God's design for sex is in the context of marriage, choosing not to be married or not desiring marriage means you are also, you are also living a celibate life. You're fighting sexual sin. You're seeking not to engage in sexual activity. You're fighting to remain faithful to please God. You know that in your singleness, God's desire for you is celibacy. And in a world and a society that's flooded with sex, you are remaining committed to hold on to Jesus Christ and to fight against lust. And what Jesus is saying here is that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees that. And he honors that. For some of us, we are in this category because we struggle with same-sex desire. And maybe you've struggled with this for a long time. And there is all kinds of pressure for you to simply embrace that in the same-sex relationship. And there's pressure for you to embrace that in same-sex sexual activity. And the world outside of you is telling you that you're simply repressing yourself. And the world outside is telling you that you ought to find your identity in these desires. And even people who call themselves Christians are telling you that you can simply give in to these desires. That you can live those, out those desires and still hold on to Jesus. And maybe there are times where you are tempted, you feel like, let me just give it all in. And yet, and yet, you've heard the call of Jesus Christ. And yet, you know the call to deny yourself and to follow him. And it's not easy, and I can't imagine how difficult it is. And you know that being faithful to Jesus Christ might mean you don't have that natural family in this life. And being faithful to Jesus Christ might mean you don't have that companionship that marriage provides. And in spite of all of that, and in spite of all that the world is saying, you are here, you're holding on to Jesus Christ. You're, you're holding on to Jesus Christ. You're fighting sin. Your Savior sees you. Jesus sees you. Jesus commends you. He sees your struggle. He sees your love for him. He knows what it's costing you. He's calling you to keep going, to keep living for the kingdom of God because that struggle will not last forever. He sees you. He loves you. And soon he is ready to welcome you into his eternal kingdom. For some of us, we fall into this category because we desire marriage and yet marriage hasn't come. We want to be married, but the right person hasn't shown up. And we don't know if that person is going to show up. And if you're honest, it is heartbreaking because you, you have this desire to be married and it seems as if God isn't giving you that desire. Um, and on days like this Sunday, we, you know, we give announcements about people getting engaged and people getting married and you want to be happy for them. And yet there is a part of you that is in pain every time that happens because it's a reminder of what you do not have and yet want. And maybe there's also pressure from the family and maybe people are always asking you, when are you going to get married and when is it going to be your time? And in addition to that, you're struggling with these desires, sexual desires that seemingly aren't going away. And maybe seem to be getting stronger. And there is temptation on every side for you to compromise. There is temptation for you to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. There's temptation for you to just marry someone outside of the faith. Right? To so just, just find someone else who doesn't belong to God. Maybe someone who's, you know, doesn't seem so opposed to Jesus Christ. There's temptation for you to, to, to do that. And maybe it feels that as time is going on, the temptation is only growing stronger. And yet you are here, and yet you are fighting sexual temptation, and you are fighting to obey Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't minimize your pain. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees your heartache. Jesus sees your love for him. Jesus commends you. Jesus knows it's not a light thing. Jesus sees you. And on that day when you stand before him, having won the race faithfully, and on that day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, all of that pain will be redeemed. Right? Keep holding on to Jesus. And we can hold on to Jesus. we we'll closer. We can hold on to Jesus because Jesus is enough. Jesus is saying here that the kingdom is so glorious that it's worth that. It's worth giving up sex for. It's worth giving up marriage for because the kingdom is infinitely more glorious than sex. It's infinitely more glorious than marriage. And we see that in the life of saints such as Paul, right? We see that. Most clearly we see that in the life of Jesus, right? Celibate singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Um, Or as, you know, Sam Albury puts it, right? If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, what the shape of the gospel looks like, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. It tells us something that Christ is sufficient. Right? That Christ actually is enough. Right? Singleness and celibacy reminds us that actually God is infinitely greater than his gifts. Marriage is a good gift. Sex is a good gift. God is infinitely greater than his gifts. God's kingdom is infinitely greater than his gifts. Jesus Christ is infinitely greater than his gifts. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He's enough. In fact, he's more than enough. And the reason why he's enough is because both singleness and marriages, they're pointing us far beyond themselves. They are pointing us to the union between Jesus and his people. Marriage on this earth isn't about marriage. It's not about those two people. It's telling us something of the love that Jesus has for every one of his people. The joy of marital love at its best, at its finest, is a shadow. It's pointing you to something. It's pointing you to the delight that your Savior has in his people, to the delight that your Savior has in you. It's telling you something about how much your Savior wants to be with you, how much he loves you, how much you're the apple of his eye, how precious you are in his sight. Look, it's telling us that Jesus loves us. That's what this is about. And he so loved us that he left his throne for us. He so loved us that he he laid aside his majesty. He so loved us that he came to be born as a man in Nazareth. He so loved us that he came and he shed his blood for us. He loved us that he was beaten and bruised for us. Because he loved us, because he wants us. He loves us with this great love and that's why marriage is permanent it's permanent because it's pointing us to something that's eternal the love that Jesus Christ has for his church the love that will not let go the love that means come what may he will hold us fast the same love that meant our savior went to the cross and suffered and bled is the same love that means come what may in our lives and in spite of the way we fail him time and time again Jesus will not send us away Jesus will not put us away there is no cause in which Jesus will simply push us away no, in spite of our sin Jesus loves us so much that he will hold us to the very end he will keep us to the very end he will hold us fast until that final day The day that all of creation is yearning towards. The the day that all of history is moving towards. the, The climax of everything. The day when the Son of God will step into the new creation. The Lamb who died for us will step into that new creation. And there we will be. God's people. His bride. Prepared for him. Ready to be united with our Savior forever. That's what all of this is about. That's what marriage is about. That's what singleness is about. It's about that. So hold on to Jesus Christ. Don't stop holding on to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, yeah, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Um, for all that your son Jesus Christ has to say to us this morning. And Lord, we know that there is much that is difficult and much that is hard. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to receive what your word says. Lord, I pray that we would look beyond the shadows to see the reality. Lord, I pray that every single person here who is a Christian would know something of just how much your son Jesus Christ loves them. Lord, not that they would know that in their mind, but that they would know that in their heart. And Lord, I pray that for those who are not yet joined to Jesus Christ, that today might be the day when they join the bride of your son Jesus Christ so that they might have the hope of eternal life with him. God this so in jesus name amen amen um.